0: Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Injustice is
1: temporary. What this means for us is that whatever injustice you feel is operating right now in your life or in the world around us, it will not last forever. It cannot last forever, guaranteed. There will be a day, Christian, that you see that injustice end. You know why? Because if you are in Christ, if your eternal life is hid with him, then this is the truth. You will outlast that injustice.
0: that what the bible tells us is true it indicates that at the last days there'll be a final judgment although that's sometimes not a comfort at this present time it is comforting to know that god hasn't turned a blind eye to what's occurring pastor ricky will be teaching from esther emphasizing that god is indeed watching over all and is keeping track of what men are doing he alone will be the final judge and his verdict will be final let's join pastor ricky now for part two of his message Perfect justice in God's timing. Haman is gone, but that doesn't mean the edict is gone.
1: So Esther's begging that this order be revoked. In verse 4, when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, if it pleased the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king... And I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King hashuer said to Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows being, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for or because an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. What the king is saying is, look, I've given you everything that was Haman's. I'm giving you the authority to write whatever legislation you think you need to. But the problem is that I cannot revoke Haman's edict. I authorized it. Therefore, my hands are tied in a sense. You can write whatever you can think of to counteract this, but I can't just remove it. So, verse 9 the king's scribes were summoned at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sylvan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces. Remember, this is a huge empire. To each province in his own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers, riding swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying, this is what it said, that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. In other words, the Jews are being authorized to do the exact thing that other people were authorized to do against them. If they are attacked, they're authorized to do everything the edict allowed other people to do to them. And on one day throughout all the provinces of the king, Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, Verse 13, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, listen to this, in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. See, this is the thing that Haman had spent his whole life longing for, that he would be honored in this way in front of everybody and have this kind of power in all of Persia. And it once appeared that Mordecai's faithful service even in saving the king's life, was being totally ignored. And in fact, he was being done evil. And that Haman, this wicked man, was advancing further and further. And in a moment, in 24 hours, it's all reversed. And Mordecai receives all the honor and more that he deserved. And Haman receives the punishment for his wickedness. Verse 16, then the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, where at once there was darkness and sorrow and dishonor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Meaning that... The standing of the Jews rose so much that all of a sudden this is hitting the newsstands everywhere in Persia. That Mordecai, a Jew, is the second in command of Persia, that the queen is a Jew, and all these other people that aren't Jewish are going, you know what, I think we've got a little Jewish in our lineage somewhere. I think your your great-grandfather, you know? In other words, the whole situation in the whole empire switches and turns on a dime. What's the point of all this? That's where we stop today. What's the point of all this? Well, the point is that for chapter after chapter after chapter, it looked like evil was going to triumph. It looked like justice was nowhere to be found. But now we see justice coming and here and more to come, setting things right every loss is regained, every wickedness is repaid. Where there was dishonor, there is now more honor. Where there was injustice, there's now justice. Where there was evil intended, that evil is turned back on its own head. Now, what we're going to do is begin to work through, well, what are the implications of this for our lives and for our world today? We're going to ask three questions. First, Question is this, what do we learn about injustice? The book of Esther is very honest about injustice being a reality in the world around us. It doesn't sugarcoat things for us, doesn't it? See, sometimes people get the impression that following God or being a Christian is just trying to have good vibes and good feelings all the time and ignore the hard stuff and, like, kind of just like close your eyes. Like, you know, everything's fine. Like, this part of my life is hard. This part of my life is hard. But I'm focusing on God. I'm singing, praying, and worship music. I'm going to keep those good vibes going all day. And yet, the reality of Esther is that it lays bare the fact that in our world, injustice is real, evil is real. And yet the Bible does not despair in the face of it or try to hide it. What we learn first is that injustice is limited. In the book of Esther, it looks like Haman, this great enemy, just keeps going up and up and up and rising further and further and further, gaining more and more power, growing in hate more and more and more. And it feels like injustice is reigning supreme over this whole empire. But here's the encouraging thing we learn from the book of Esther. Haman's power is limited. Haman's power is limited. One commentator for the book of Esther says it this way. He says, God keeps evil on a leash. God always keeps evil on a leash. Even the king himself above Haman seems moody and unstable but even his rule, even where he is supreme in his day, even his rule is limited by God. And In fact, this is what we see throughout the entire Bible. Um, every king is under God's authority. Every king operates in a limited way only under God's unlimited sovereignty. Satan himself is limited. His evil forces are limited. All evil does not reign supreme. What does this mean for us then? Well, it means that we should not believe the lie that injustice is all that is ruling and reigning. When you begin to believe that it's just chaos, Injustice is just going to run ramshod over my family, over things that I care about. And when you believe that, you begin to either despair or you begin to give in. You either begin to say, okay, well then if this is true, if evil is just reigning over all this stuff, then what's the point? I'm just giving up. I don't even want to deal with this anymore. Or you begin to say, you know what? If injustice and evil are the things that are actually getting people ahead in this world, then you know what? Maybe I should stop following God and start getting some of what everybody else has. But the reality is injustice is limited by God. There's a ruler that's setting its boundaries. Second, injustice is temporary. See, Haman does not reign forever. Even King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes does not reign forever. None of Israel's foreign oppressors lasts forever. God limits their power, but he also limits the time of their rule. Injustice is only temporary. From a, from a great biblical perspective, there will come a day when injustice forever will have a definite end point. And we see that through this reflection in this little story of this great enemy meeting his swift end at God's appointed time. Injustice is temporary. What this means for us is that whatever injustice he is operating right now in your life or in the world around us, it will not last forever. It cannot last forever, guaranteed. There will be a day, Christian, that you see that injustice end. You know why? Because if you are in Christ, if your eternal life is hid with him, then this is the truth. You will outlast that injustice. You will be there and be around on the day when you see it finally ended and put right. And third thing I see is that injustice is ultimately judged. It will ultimately be judged. See, Haman does not get away with anything. Every single thing that Haman does in the first half of the book comes exactly back on his head in the second half of the book every hate-filled action that he takes is returned on his own head, precisely down to the irony of these giant gallows, him being hung on them, down to the irony of him stepping on people like Mordecai, pushing him out of their way, ingratiating himself to the king because of his money and working his way through the ranks. All of that is stripped away. He's laid bare. He's ashamed. And all of that goes to his enemy, one of God's people. What does that tell us? What it tells us is that someone is keeping score. Someone somewhere has a ledger. And on that ledger, things are being marked down that will be repaid. God's ledger is balanced in the book of Esther. This evil is returned. And the thing that I think is just so ironic is that just a few hours earlier, a couple chapters earlier, he is boasting about how great he is. He's boasting about how wonderful he is, about how much influence he has, about how many resources he has, and then in a moment, judgment comes. What does this mean for us? Well, it means this, that injustice really will be ultimately judged. No one will get away, friends, with anything. A ledger is being kept. Not by a fallen or unstable human king, but by the God of the universe. That's what we learn about injustice. But second question then, what do we learn about God? We learn that Haman is not sovereign, that Xerxes or King Hasuerus is not sovereign, that ultimately only God is sovereign. There's this ongoing joke in the book of Esther that the king never does anything on his own. He's constantly like a puppet in the hands of the people around him. He's constantly getting manipulated in the first chapter by his wife before Esther. She dishonors him and then he kind of goes to his friends and it's like, well, what do you think we should do? And they think, okay, look, if the queen gets away with this, our wives are gonna be crazy and I think they can do this to us. So here's what you do, king. And so Haman manipulates him into doing these things. Everybody is constantly manipulating the king. And one of the ironies of the book of Esther is it takes this great ruler, King Xerxes, and it makes him a laughingstock by showing that he's just being pushed and pulled around by everyone around him. And what we're meant to see is that that guy is not sovereign. Somebody above him is sovereign. And somebody above him is pulling all of the puppet strings for the characters in this story. People can manipulate with words and try to shade things a certain way, but God is the only one that can wake this king up in the middle of the night and make him turn to the weirdest thing possible, which is reading the world records and have him read the exact thing at the right time to turn his heart to save the people of God. God is the one pulling King Xerxes' strings. So what does this mean? It means that God is sovereign. Christian, here's what you need to hear right now. Your destiny is ultimately in the hands of God. It is not in the hands of fate or chance. It is not in the hands of injustice. God is the one ruling and reigning over your story and over your life. We do this thing sometimes where we believe in God's sovereignty in church. When we're singing a song, when the band's going, it's like easy to believe in the sovereignty of God. Like the Lord reigns, and we're like, yes, and, and like. Sometimes the electric guitar just helps me believe it. Right, the Lord reigns, or maybe when we're praying, or maybe when we're reading a devotional, or maybe when everybody in our community group is around us praying for us. Yes, the Lord is sovereign, and yet. During that week, we find ourselves, we feel like way far away from that, in the middle of nowhere, struggling, and it's much harder to believe, right? And one of the things that the book of Esther, I think, does for us and for the people of God is it's God reminding his people that even there, in the middle of the Persian Empire, miles and miles away from Jerusalem, far, far away from the land that God promised to be with his people, he is still there. The people of God probably began to think, well, God, maybe he's back there. Maybe he's back there in Jerusalem, but not out here where we're living right now. And then listen, anywhere God's people are, he is there with them. God is sovereign and he holds the fate of his people in his hands. Second, we learn that God works an eternal plan. If you just pause the story at any point in the first half of the book, you would think that God is failing at his job but it's not true. Why is it not true? Because God just had a different timetable than we do, than we would looking at the book. See, God is eternal. God works on an eternal timetable. Psalm 90 says this, for a thousand years in your sight are, but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Isaiah 45 says this, for I am God and there is no other declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying this, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. What does that mean? It means that God has a plan. He has a plan from the beginning for his people and for the world. And he says, listen, my counsel will stand. The things that I have purposed to do will happen But kind of the caveat, the asterisk for that is that God does not work according to our timetable. Many times we want that. We're like, look, Lord, I can hold out for another week, but that is it. So if you're going to do something and show up, you got like till the 13th or something, the Lord does not work on that timetable. Scripture says that God is not slow as some count slowness. But instead, he has a purpose and a plan for why he delays. If God delays, it is not because he's being pushed by outside forces. It's because he has a plan. As Romans eight twenty eight says, for our good and for his glory. And scripture says, one reason God doesn't just come back and judge all evil is that he's allowing people time to repent, that he has a plan for salvation for many people in many places, in many countries, across many ages, and he is working that plan and he will not leave his people behind. That's one thing. There's just one thing we know about why he would delay according to scripture. But there are other reasons, friends, that we do not know, and one day in eternity we may. But we do know this that God works on a different timetable. He works an eternal plan. And third, that God is ultimately just. One of the things that scripture emphasizes over and over again is that God is just. Here's the thing about our generation, I think, in particular, is that we miss one of the most beautiful aspects of God's character because. We don't want a God that's like judgy and stuff. We're the generation of like, you don't judge my life, man. you like, you stay in your own business. And so for God to be the just judge feels a little like, whoa, whoa, back off. And yet, every time we say, that's not fair, what are we saying? We're saying that somewhere there's an objective right and an objective wrong and that justice was not done. That injustice was allowed to continue. And we're pointing at it and saying that should be set right. And that, friends, that longing in our hearts is what God himself answers. See, God that put that in our hearts. We're made in his image, which includes a moral component to it. And even though we're fallen and sinful, and Romans says that our minds are darkened, that we can't see things as we ought, we can still see the big outlines, I believe, of right and wrong and justice in many cases. When we see something on the news where somebody is murdered, or somebody is raped, when we see child soldiers who are kidnapped and brainwashed and meant to fight and die for some brutal warlord, when even a family member hurts us deeply and gets away with it, there's something in our hearts that says, that's not fair. And the Lord says, that's right. That's right. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, all God's ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and right is he. Meaning that God's very character is itself the definition of justice. There is no iniquity, no sin, no evil, no injustice in him. Everything he does is right. Here's what this means, friends. If God is sovereign and he is just, God will settle every score in the end no one will get away with anything, nothing. But if God is sovereign and just and works according to an eternal timetable, then it is true that some of that justice may not be apparent this week. It may not be apparent this month or this year or friends, even this lifetime. But what it does mean is this, that in eternity, No one will look back on this life and accuse God of being unjust. He is sovereign and he is just and he will put every wrong right. Now, if you're thinking this through, this should make you a little uncomfortable. Perfect justice should make us a little uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable maybe with the fact that the Jews are given permission to wipe out a bunch of people, but these people are people attacking them. This is a theme in the Old Testament that justice comes in like a searing, burning way that makes us a little uncomfortable. God brings justice swiftly and powerfully to his enemies. God brings justice even to his own people. Where we see stories in the Old Testament, like God's people sin and the ground swallows them up and we're like, whoa. Karen Jobs, one of the commentators says this, we seem to want God to destroy sin and evil, but leave people alone. However... Sin and evil do not exist apart from beings who sin and beings who do evil. The problem is with us in humanity. We're uncomfortable, but we have to remember that God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, and he sees every heart, and no one gets destruction that does not deserve it. But it also reveals that God's Standard for justice and holiness is very different from ours. Ours, as I said, is kind of warped and shaded by being part of the sinful world, but God, on the outside looking in, perfectly holy, perfectly just, without iniquity.
0: Listening today to Pastor Ricky Alcantar's series, God of Chance. If you've been encouraged by what you heard today on Better News Radio, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call at 915 562 7100 and also let us know how we can be praying for you. That phone number again is 915 562 7100. Or you can email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. You're also invited to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can listen to today's message again or peruse our archive of previous teachings by Pastor Ricky. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive the latest messages as soon as they're available. While you're at our website, be sure to check out Pastor Ron's introduction video telling you about the gospel message and why it's vital for the world today. Pastor Ricky has also created a book that's available for free that shares some incredible better news for life. In it, Pastor Ricky shares his own story and answers questions that many have about what living as a Christian truly means. Download the Better News book for free and share with your friends and family. You'll find it at betternewsradio.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. We pray that you'll continue to look for God's hand in your life every day and rely on Him to guide your steps with love and grace. Know that we're praying for you frequently. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again for more from God's Word right here on Better News Radio.